Thursday, Calvary Chapel, West Grove. How are we today? We got some waves in the back. We want to wave to those that are joining us online, those that are walking in still. Uh, it is a blessing to see you this midweek. Uh, it is always a, a wonderful time to get together as the body of Christ, as a family, to get into God's Word, to worship together, to be of one mind and one accord. Amen? Amen. So as Pastor Eric usually opens up Wednesday nights, he is on a much needed, much deserved vacation and he will be back here soon. But uh, keep him in your prayers. Him and Naomi are, are away and, and getting that much needed rest, that, that refreshment. So uh, he will, will be back soon. So would you join me to open up in a word of prayer and a time of worship? Uh, all right. Father God, we are so grateful that we get to come to you on a night, any night, that we so choose and to worship you. Lord, it is uh, the joy of our heart to be able to just sit at your feet, sing songs of worship, to uh, express our gratitude, express our love to you. Father, for you are so faithful and so good to us. And so, Lord, we thank you for sending your only son. We thank you, Lord, that we have access to the very throne room of God, our creator, the creator of the universe, the one who spoke all things into being. We have, the, we have access to that very throne room. May that sink in, church, that you have access to the very throne room of God through prayer. And so, Father, as we lift our praises upward, would you send your Holy Spirit to move in this place powerfully, specifically, individually, with, for each one of us. Lord, meet everyone exactly where we are. Lord, we all come in with different hurts, different struggles, different worries, different concerns. Some of us are on the mountaintops. Some of us are in the valley, some of us are right in between, but you, you are the Lord of it all. You hold all things together, Christ. And so, Lord, we come to just bring you praise now, and we offer this time from the depths of our heart. Would you also put a hedge of protection and blessing over our children's ministry tonight, from our nursery all the way up through our high school room, Lord, would you just pour forth your spirit into our beautiful kids? We thank you for our kids, Lord. They are such blessings to us. And so would you just pour into them tonight through your faithful servants. And so, Lord, we give you this time. We pray we minister to your heart, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Elephant in the room, if you're wondering if Pastor Eric's out, who's going to be teaching on Sunday? Well, it's, uh, it's somebody we had to bring in from the bullpen. We called in the righty from Tennessee, and he might be over here somewhere. Pastor Brad is going to uh, join us on Sunday. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Pastor Brad and Janice are in town for a little while, so he's going to... Uh, be gracious enough to share with us on Sunday. Looking forward to that. So be praying for what he has to share, what God will do through that time on Sunday. So uh, we're going to be finishing up our verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study in the book of Romans. It's been a tremendous journey through a, a rather uh, challenging book, if you will. It's definitely stretched me and challenged me as somebody who's uh, been in the scriptures for a while, but then to dig into it and get it to a point where uh, I understand it to the point to teaching it is, has been a challenge. It's been a stretch, to be honest with you guys. So it's been such a rewarding experience. And we are now in chapter 16. Feels like just yesterday we started in chapter 1. And, and in chapter 1, we see Paul's great heart, his tremendous love and affection for the believers in Rome. And he, he just uses so much language that shows his heart, his pastoral heart, towards those believers in Rome. And he continues that and gets even more specific and more detailed 
in this 16th chapter as he starts to name each and every one of the believers that has either impacted him, those that he's crossed paths with through his missionary journeys or maybe planting churches. And he just has this great affinity and affection showing he is a relational uh, man. He's a man that's just not about the Lord's work. It's, it's about building bridges, connections, and investing in those that he has come across. And so he, he not only mentions them by name, which is powerful, he mentions how they've maybe impacted his life, impacted his ministry, or maybe just the defining characteristic that uh, defines them as, as a believer in Christ. So it is a, a beautiful thing. And, and little did they know that their names would, would not only be in this letter to Rome, but it would be canonized within the scriptures for millions upon millions of people to read for thousands of years. I mean, their, their service to the Lord now is uh, enshrined in, in the Bible for, for years, uh, forever. So what a, a powerful testimony that they now leave as a result of their relationship with, with Paul. So as we come to this final chapter, it is such a, a beautiful thing. And so uh, the Apostle John, in his third epistle, he said, he ends his letter by saying, greet the friends by name. Greet the friends by name. And there's something very, very special and powerful when you use somebody's uh, first name. And, you know, a lot of times we go through our day-to-day and, and we barely make eye contact and we can kind of just go about our business. But I challenge you guys, maybe today, tomorrow, whenever, if you're at the gas station or restaurant, fast food place or whatever, and somebody has a name tag on, greet them by name. Thank them by name. And I guarantee you they will look up at you. Their eyes will light up. They will actually smile. That might be the first time somebody has called them by name that particular day. And so I know that was our uh, belief when I was in the education uh, field, that we would make sure that we knew our kids' names and that we would call them by name. Because again, that might be the only time all day that they get called by name, that they get that eye contact. And so um, as Christians, as we go about our day, um, bless somebody in that way. Just call them by name, thank them, uh, appreciate them, use their first name, and watch what happens. I guarantee you their eyes will light up. You know, we're in the, uh, in the age of social media and emojis and e- email names and all these other things that are abbreviated and less personal. But when you use somebody's name, it is, it is powerful. And that's what we see Paul modeling here in the first 16 verses. I think he calls out about 26 people by name. Uh, he calls out a handful more um, that are in the household of a particular person. And so, but then in verses 17 through 20, he kind of shifts and it's almost like he can't help himself. Paul the apostle comes back to the forefront and he, he exhorts them in, in a warning. And so those three or four verses, really interesting, really curious that he all of a sudden breaks into this warning for the church at Rome and then goes back into 21, verses 21 through 23. He then gives the ability for those on his team, those on his missionary team to then greet those in Rome. And then he finally uh, finishes up with what we call a doxology or this beautiful one-sentence expression of praise to God. And so uh, we will uh, see this kind of play out through the next 27 verses. And I think we will be able to get through it. It'll go uh, a little choppy. It's not going to be kind of our normal Bible study where we take larger chunks of scripture, but there's some beautiful nuggets within these uh, greetings and and these uh, accommodations that that Paul gives. So we titled tonight, Loving Regards from Paul to his uh, brothers and sisters in Rome. So verse one, I commend you, our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is in Centria. And by the way, I'm just going to disclaimer. If I butcher some of these names tonight, just forgiveness on the front end. I I really tried to work at the names, but I have them phonetically spelled. But if I butcher them, just forgiveness on the front end here. Verse two, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and that 
you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. So many of these names also have meanings, right? And so Phoebe's name means bright or radiant and was often a, uh, a way that they would, um, th- those in, this, uh, in, in the pagan culture, they would uh, praise the Greek god Apollo with that word Phoebe, meaning bright or radiant. And so she was of the church of Centria, which was in Corinth. Paul wrote his letter to the Romans from the city of Corinth. And, and this, uh, this church that was in Centria is about seven miles away from Corinth. It was a seacoast town. So no doubt Phoebe and, and Paul had crossed paths given their close proximity to one another. And Paul notes that she is a servant of the church, her work ethic and her servitude to the church. But if you dig into that word servant a little bit more, it means deaconess. And so during this time, the deaconesses of the church would be the women that were in leadership positions, and they would be pouring into the younger women, discipling the younger women, imparting wisdom to them, helping them through their walk as they were getting started in in their uh, relationship with the Lord. They would also tend to the sick or tend to the needy, and then they also would maybe tend to those who were less fortunate. And so these deaconesses really served the Lord with, a, with a, a, an earnest heart, and they did so unselfishly and, and, and poured themselves into the church. And that was Phoebe's uh, key characteristic of her faith. Paul mentions that she is a servant to the church, and not only was she a helper to many, but she was a helper to Paul himself. And, and so Paul commends her for her service and, and her ability to connect with the body in that way. Verse 3, Greek Priscilla and Aquila, or, uh, Aquila and fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Jesus. For my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles also greet the church that is in their house. So this husband and wife team, Priscilla and Achilla, are mentioned six different times in the scriptures. And while uh, Paul was at Corinth, he met he met uh, Priscilla and Aquila, uh, verse, uh, Acts 18, verse 2. And as uh, he saw their commitment to the Lord, saw their, their powerful uh, uh, team, uh, their, their husband and wife team that he had there, he, it was evident to him that he took them to Ephesus to plant and start that church in Ephesus. In Acts chapter 18, verse 18, Paul brings them to Ephesus and goes and continues on and leaves them behind to continue that work. So that couple stayed behind and laid the groundwork for the church in Ephesus. And it was there where Priscilla and Aquila met a a powerful, eloquent man named Apollos. And he was mighty in the scriptures. He spoke boldly in the synagogues. And and Apollos' teachings were accurate concerning the Lord. And, and, and however, he only uh, was acquainted with the baptism of John. So Priscilla and Quilla discipled Apollos. And, and it says, the word says that they took him aside and explained the scriptures more accurately to him. So then equipping Apollos to be even more uh, powerful for the ministry, uh, for the work of the ministry that God had for him. And so Priscilla and Quilla were such a powerful, powerful husband and wife team and Paul says that they risked uh, their own necks for his life. And so many think that this was uh, a result of, if, if you remember back in Ephesus, um, the silversmith trade had diminished greatly. Many were coming to Christ as a result of, of, of Paul's teachings. And as a result, they weren't buying the graven images that these silversmiths were making. So business was drying up and they were all in an uproar. This was their livelihood. And as a result, I think Pastor Eric taught on this is when Paul went to a city, there was either a riot or a revival. And in this particular case, there was a riot and they started to drive Paul out of the city. So many think that they risked their neck in this particular time in that situation for Paul in Ephesus. And so Priscilla and Aquila also had a church in their house, and that's such a beautiful thing. Um, we have our home fellowships here. We call them our life groups. 
You can have a church in your house just by meeting for a Bible study, a time of worship. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be a master theologian. You don't have to be, you know, well-versed or have some type of uh, degree hanging on the wall. You can just simply open up the scriptures, allow the Holy Spirit to to facilitate a discussion, and and, and you can grow from that. So churches in the house are such a beautiful thing. And we have our life groups here. So it's just a little plug. If you're not involved or plugged into a life group, I highly, highly encourage it. We've had one in our home for a while, and and the relationships you make are far beyond the relationships that just kind of happen in the the kind of the coming and going of a a Sunday morning or a Wednesday evening. You really intensely get intimate with one another in in each other's lives. You have prayer partners. You have people that you might go out to dinner with or or share life with on a deeper level. So home fellowships, churches in the home are are a beautiful thing, and just want to highly encourage you uh, getting involved in our life groups. But you can also have home devotions in your own home, if, if, if you don't have the ability to have a life group, but you do have a family, and it's difficult, I know. You can be involved in ministry here. You can have a ton of activities with the kids and work, and, and life gets busy, but home devotions can also be your church in the home. So uh, open up the scriptures, worship the Lord, talk about the scriptures with your kids, and you can have a church in your home just as Priscilla and Aquila did. There's one other interesting note here. Paul mentions uh, Priscilla's name first. So, so like I said, these, this couple's mentioned six different times in the scriptures. He, he mentions her name first, four out of the six. So that might not be a big deal to us here in the Western culture, but in that culture, you always mention the husband's name first. And so kind of in that study of that, uh, that aspect or this, this kind of key detail, um, many believe it was Paul's uh, recognizing Priscilla's effective ministry, and, and maybe more so her ministry and her effectiveness within the body was maybe more so than her husband, Achilla. But you never really read of Achilla being threatened by that or trying to snuff that out. So this beautiful husband and wife team complementing one another in the ministry, um, uh, you, you just see them throughout the scriptures, and, and Paul mentioning that Priscilla, uh, Priscilla first most likely uh, leads, to her, leads to the belief that she had a, a very powerful impact for Christ. And so uh, I think that could be a married couples fellowship message, I think. I have, have a, a good little message there for, for future, future meetings. Moving on, greet Epinaitis, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. If you've ever led somebody to Christ, especially the first person that you lead to Christ, there's just a, a, that's somebody that you will most likely not forget. And Paul is, is um, um, mentioning Epinaitis by name. It's his beloved. He's somebody that is very near and dear to his heart. And so that implies that there were many more to come. This is where the first fruits here of, of Paul in Asia. And this is Turkey or modern day Turkey when, when they say Asia. And so when you lead someone to the Lord, again, it's such a special uh, experience. Um, you just get a, a supernatural high that can't be, uh, there's no equivalent to it. And I actually had a situation, it was about 20 years ago. I was, I was pretty new in the faith. There was a kid that was, uh, had just recently graduated. This is when Marie and I lived a little bit closer to Santa Ana, and I was working in Santa Ana at the time. I was walking my dog on, the, uh, on this beautiful riverbed called the Santa Ana River. It's a, the, the big concrete river out there. <laughs> I saw this young man. It's 6.30 in the morning, and I see him sitting on the, on the kind of the, the, the angle of the, of the cement. And I was just kind of keeping my eye on him because nobody's usually out there. And I, as I get closer, I realize he's one of my former students. And he's down and out. I believe his girlfriend uh, was pregnant. He was kicked out of his house. He didn't have work. And I got to share the gospel with him. And he received the Lord. I'm getting emotional. 
took him home, gave him an extra Bible. And we haven't crossed paths since, but I'm hoping George is still walking with the Lord today. And it still moves me to emotion to know that that divine appointment, he was, he was down. He was definitely discouraged. He had a lot of things going against him. But he was the first fruit of my ministry, if you will, and, and you just don't forget it. So Paul is uh, recognizing and, and uh, giving Epineatus his, his commendation here, the first convert from, to Christ from Asia. And then he says, greet Mary, verse 6, who has worked hard for you. Uh, this, this woman, Mary, is there's six different Marys in the Bible. It's not Mary, the mother of Jesus, or Mary, uh, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. It's not Mary Magdalene. It's just a, another Mary or, or Miriam. It's, a, it's definitely a Jewish name. And Paul notes her hard work for those in Rome. She is, she is, uh, he's emphasizing her hard work. And when you dig into that word, hard work, or that term, hard work, it actually means she would toil to the point of exhaustion. She would work until she was absolutely wearied. And so this marked Mary's ministry. She was more of a Martha, if you will, right? We ask, are you a Mary or a Martha? This Mary was a Martha. In fact, she worked diligently in the body of Christ to the point of uh, exhaustion, weariness, uh, extreme toil. So greet Mary who has worked hard for you. She, he mentions her by name and mentions the characteristic that she brought to the table. Verse 7, greet Andronicus and Eunius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoner who are outstanding among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. And Andronicus means man of victory, and Unius means youthful. I love like kind of digging into some of these names and what, uh, there's a couple funny ones coming up, and we won't mention them all, but there's a couple that are this really sweet, and then a couple you're like, this, this can't be this person's name. It can't really mean that, and we'll get to them in a minute here. But So it's unclear if Paul's biologically uh, related to these two gentlemen, because uh, he says they are his kinsmen, but no doubt they are related in Christ. And another relationship that they formed is they were fellow prisoners together. And I don't know if you've ever gone through something with somebody, kind of relationship through ordeal, where you go through a, a bit of a adversity or a difficult time. You form a stronger bond than when there isn't that adversity or that opposition. And so they were fellow prisoners together and no doubt formed this strong bond as a result. And Paul was in prison numerous, numerous times. So these gentlemen were pri uh, fellow prisoners with him. And he says they were outstanding among the apostles. Now, they, they weren't uh, a member of the original 12, but they were probably more like missionaries. They were very effective in going out and preaching the gospel and, and, and uh, uh, doing the Lord's work in, in that manner. They were the ones sent out uh, on behalf of, of the Lord. And so they were in Christ before him. So they were, they were converts before Paul. Paul recognizes that they had come to the Lord prior to him. And so uh, we move on. Verse 8, greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And Stachus, uh, my beloved. And so uh, Ampliatus means large. Urbanus means of the city, or I think that's where we get our word urban. And Stachus is a head of grain. It's just interesting to, to see the, 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 the background of these names. But again, Paul makes effects, affectionate mention of these men and their contribution to the Lord. And, and, and they are beloved, they are hardworking, and he, again, he names them by name. They are uh, in the scriptures forever as a result of their service to the Lord. Little did they know that their faithful service would be uh, recorded forever. Verse 10, greet Apollos, uh, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. And so we look at Apollos, it means called. 
But I love how Paul, this is such a sweet moniker or, or, or uh, commendation that he gives Apollos, and he calls him approved in Christ. And when you think of how are you approved in Christ, and 2 Timothy 2.15 comes to mind, study to show yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So as we study the word of God, we're not going to get up, caught up in idle chatter or backbiting or, 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 or just empty, vain conversation. We're going to be able to rightly divide the truth and not get caught up in the world's vain philosophies or, or the next hip trend. We won't get caught up in, in some of the day-to-day stuff that can kind of get us spun out in, in terms of getting frustrated. We can rightly divide the word of truth as we study to show ourselves approved. And, and so here, Apollos is approved in Christ. And so when you study the word of God and, and, and you meditate, meditate on it day and night, like the psalmist said, you will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and, in its, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever you do, whatever we do, we prosper. And it's not the prosperity doctrine that, uh, that some churches push, but God is able to prosper you, not just materially or financially, but is able to prosper you in your family. He's able to prosper you in your growth as a believer in him. And so as you stay in the word, study the scriptures, study to show yourself approved as uh, Apollos did, you see that you can be approved in Christ just as Paul uh, heralds him here. And so um, the, the other three men, again, are, are uh, greeted. Uh, they're in the household uh, of Narcissus. Narcissus, by the way, means stupidity. I, I had to check that one a couple of different times. Obviously, uh, not, not the name that you would want to have. So some other rabbit trails that you could go down with these, these particular men. Um, there's, there's some interesting uh, conjecture and some thoughts there, but we will continue to go forward and move on. Uh, verse 12, greet uh, Tryphena and Trufosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis the Beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. So we come to two sisters, most likely, Tryphena, uh, Trufina and Trufosa. One means dainty, and the other one means delicate. It could also be translated luxurious and luxuriating. <laughs> and so these two were no doubt sisters, and they were probably from a family of means, but they were workers in the Lord. Again, they were hard workers in the Lord. And then he says, greet Persis the beloved. Now, Persis means of Persia, and this is a female. This is a woman. And if you notice, Paul changes his greeting to Persis. Uh, prior to this, he said, my beloved. But because uh, there, there's the thought here is because this is a female, he changes it to Persis the Beloved. You could imagine maybe some of the speculation that would ensue if he were to say, Persis, my beloved. All of a sudden, there could be some insinuation there. Oh, is there a little relationship going on here? This is Persis, his beloved. What's, what's going on behind the scenes? Is there more between the lines than what we know about? And it's just a reminder to us that those that, are, that we're not married to, as if, if we uh, have, have our wives or have our husbands, and we're greeting other brothers and sisters in Christ, just to keep that safe distance. And not an arm's distance. You can give a side hug. Here he says, give a holy kiss. We don't want to give holy kisses at times, right? But that, that was customary back in those days. But, you know, when, when we are greeting those of the opposite sex that are not our husband or our wife, just to make sure that we're above reproach, that we don't give uh, cause for anybody to say, well, well, what's kind of going on there? Is, there? is there more than meets the eye there? Just, just to be uh, wise. It's just wise to, to, to make sure, as Paul is doing here, persist the beloved, not my beloved. So always wise for men and women to, who are not married to greet one another respectfully and uh, in brotherly love. 
Verse 13, and, and this one's a good one. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. So Rufus means red. And Paul terms him as a choice man in the Lord, meaning he was the best of his kind. He, was, he, ex, he uh, exuded excellence as, as a man of God. What a great, great uh, distinctive that, that, that Rufus carries from Paul's uh, perspective. And so um, if you look at Mark chapter 15, verse 21, Mark chapter 15, verse 21, Rufus is mentioned there as the son of Simon the Cyrene. And if you remember who Simon Cyrene was, he was the African man who was pressed into service as Jesus was uh, going, up to the Mount, going up to Mount Calvary, and, and he's about to be crucified. Simon the Cyrene is pressed into service to bear the cross for Jesus up to Calvary. And so seemingly an innocent bystander, he's in Jerusalem for Passover, and he gets pressed into service in this way. And Charles Spurgeon had such a great take on this. And, and many, a couple years ago, I was blessed enough to be able to teach on that particular passage of Scripture in, in Mark 15. But the chapter leading up to Mark 15, Simon Peter says, even though all may fall away, I will not. Peter, a very exuberant, very uh, kind of foot and mouth disease, right? He would always put himself out there, maybe not always follow through. But we know how the story goes. Peter denied his Lord three times when he was about to be crucified. And so because Peter had also fallen away for a brief time, also had scattered as a result of fear, Spurgeon says his name was Simon. And where was the other Simon? What a silent but strong rebuke this would be to him. Simon Peter, Simon son of Jonah, where wast thou? Another Simon has taken thy place. Sometimes the Lord's servants are backward where they are expected to be forward, and he finds other servitors for the time. If this has ever happened to us, it ought gently to rebuke us as long as we live. Brothers and sisters, keep your places, and let not another Simon occupy your room. Simon Peter says, I will not fall away. If all fall away, I will, I will be there for you, Lord. And yet he scatters. And then this man, who's seemingly an innocent bystander, has this divine appointment that forever changes his life and the legacy of his family. Most likely, he is the father of Rufus, the one being commended here in Romans as the choice man of the Lord. And so it just goes to show you have one interaction, one encounter with the Lord, and your life and the lives of your family can be changed. Your, your trajectory, your, your legacy of your family can be changed forever. And so also uh, uh, just a, a quick lesson to know that, you know, the Lord can use anybody at any time. He can use anybody at any time. And we know uh, Simon Peter was restored. He was one of the most powerful, uh, most uh, uh, revered men in the New Testament as, as he uh, gets restored lovingly by our, our, our Lord and Savior. But Simon the Cyrene pressed into service. And as a result, now his son Rufus being commended by Paul in Rome. It's also thought that the book, uh, Mark's gospel, was written in Rome. So there's, there's another strong evidence there that this is the, indeed the same Rufus that was mentioned in Mark. Verse 14, greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and, and the brethren with them. Greet uh, Philip, this one's tough, Philologus, and Julia, uh, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. So we come to the end, the, the end of the list. Paul greets these two groups of believers in four, verses 14 and 15. And again, we won't get into all the names, but there's two that stand out. Nerus means lump. 
I don't know why you would ever want to uh, name your son Lump, but Philologos means lover of the word. Phileo, love, and Logos, the word. And it's the word of God. So you can be a lump or you can be a lover of the word. You choose. So just as we get to the end of this list, a couple observations as, as before we move on. Many of the people Paul referred to in, in here, many of the mentions that he gives, they're slaves. Uh, slaves to the Roman authorities of the day. And, and during those times, slaves were educated. They, were, uh, they, they weren't um, kind of what we, what we might have uh, an idea of, but they, they were no doubt indentured servants. So no matter our status in life, God can and, and will use anyone. God's grace <clears throat> does not depend on man's nobility or his stature. It's an important reminder to take away that he can use anyone in any way, shape, or form. Um, and you don't have to be of great stature or nobility. And so Paul expands upon this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26-31. He says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Verse 31, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so anybody at any stature, any level of societal, you know, totem pole, wherever you kind of range on the totem pole, the Lord can use you mightily and powerfully. And this uh, group of folks that, that Paul is mentioning and, and, and showing their distinctive characteristics in their walk with the Lord, in their service to the Lord and, and to the church is testimony to that. Another takeaway is a number of people that Paul mentions here are women. Paul highlighted them with such admiration and love. They were mothers. They were wives. Uh, they were single. These women uh, were hard workers. They toiled in the work of the Lord. And they were performing this valuable service so much so that Paul made mention of them by name and by these distinctive characteristics. And so oftentimes in a church, the worker bees of the church are the women. The faithful prayer warriors are the women. And I shudder to think where the church would be, not just this church, but our church, the body of Christ, would be without the faithful women that comprise a lot of the volunteers, a lot of our prayer warriors. I shudder to think where our church would be, Calvary Chapel West Grove, without our faithful women. I see them come out Monday after Monday in the women's Bible study, faithful, Monday morning, Monday evenings, faithful service, faithful, excuse me, faithful service and faithful uh, uh, service to the Lord. So we're going to move on. Now, Paul is going to move into this warning here, verses 17 through 20. He says, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So verses 17 through 20, are, it's, it's a beautiful exhortation, a beautiful warning. The only curious part about it is he just went through this long laundry list of 26 people and then some and, and giving these, these beautiful commendations and, and, and regards. And all of a sudden he jumps right into this, 
this, uh, this warning. And it's almost like he, again, he can't help himself. The, Paul the apostle, the one that, that is kind of like the, the spiritual authority, the spiritual cover, uh, uh, kind of kicks into gear here. And it's almost as if he takes the pen out of the transcriber's hand and he starts writing this himself. So we know all scripture is God-breathed. It's God and Holy Spirit inspired. So the Spirit most likely inspired him at this particular point to urge the brethren one more time to keep their eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which they have learned. So it doesn't appear that these dissenters or hinderers are on the scene quite yet, but Paul is not ignorant to the schemes of the devil. He's putting them on notice to keep an eye out, to keep watch. Sometimes we can get so focused on the ministry that we don't see kind of the attacks from uh, outside or maybe even some of the things that could be cropping up on the inside. So Paul's giving them very strict warning here to, to keep their eye out for dissenters and hinderers. And so he's not only just uh, calling them to mark them or identify them, he's ca- calling them to turn away from them. You know, it's very difficult when somebody is entrenched in a certain position. You can share your position, but to argue them out of that position is most likely going to be futile. So he's saying, turn away from them. Focus your efforts on those who are open to the gospel, who are ripe for uh, 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 salvation those that are in need, those that are searching, those that are hurting. Focus your efforts there. Turn away from those who are so entrenched in dissent and those that want to hinder the work of the gospel. So a true Christian... um, uh, a true Christian will, will, will dive into um, that type of work. And, and sometimes, we, again, we can get so, uh, so caught up in trying to argue somebody off of their position. Paul also could be talking about the Judaizers during this time. And the Judaizers taught kind of this hybrid mixture of uh, being um, adhering to the Mosaic law in combination with God's grace, God's, uh, God's grace in combination with human effort. So they believed a true Christian must conform to the Mosaic law, must be circumcised, and Gentiles could only become a Christian first if they became a Jew. They could only become a Christian if they became a Jew first. And so Paul said, I do not nullify the grace of God, for it is righteousness. For if righteousness were through the law, Christ died needlessly. So he would often, uh, in, in, especially in Galatians, he went after these Judaizers that were trying to bring the law back and, and, and make it a, a necessary part of uh, salvation. And he uh, strongly refuted the Judaizers. But there are many more groups who teach that works are necessary, a necessary element to one's salvation. And, and Paul, in this letter alone, in, in Romans alone, he says, the righteous man, the righteous shall live by faith. In many, other of his, many others of his letters, he very much stresses that works have no place in salvation. Now, works do start to be evidence of our salvation, and we've talked about that. Works do start to be an outcropping of our faith, of, our, of that sanctifying process as we become more Christ-like, just as we've witnessed in these, uh, in these first 16 verses. Many of the people that Paul listed were workers in the Lord. So yes, works are a part of our Christian walk, part of our Christian faith, but they're not part of our salvation. Works do not get us saved. They are an outpouring of what has happened inside. As we realize our spiritual gifts, as we, as we start to understand the calling that God's put on our lives, those works start to naturally uh, become an outcropping of our faith. And so not only are there these modern-day Judaizers, but there are those who preach a different Jesus. Their speech, too, can be smooth. It can be flattering, but it's very deceitful. 
Uh, it's purposeful. They, they'll use uh, certain scriptures in ways where they create false doctrine, and they can lead the unsuspecting away. They, they have pamphlets of prop- propaganda. They'll knock on your door, and it'll sound very good. They're smooth and flattering of speech. They're well-rehearsed. They know their stuff. Paul tells us to turn away from them. And so he communicates his confidence in the believers in Rome. He says, for the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you. He expresses his confidence, one again, affirming them in their faith and in their walk. And then he exhorts them to some really sound advice. And this really resonated with me. Be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. And so if we're fed up with the things that are going on around us on the news, if we're... uh, getting spun out on the social media feeds and all the things that we see on social media and and frustrated with all the different things we hear maybe coming from uh, our our politicians and our leaders and whatnot. Paul doesn't say to be ignorant to what is evil. He just says be innocent to what is evil. Be wise in what is good. And what is good? God's word is good. Get into God's word. Turn that stuff off. Don't be ignorant to it. But you don't have to dive into it and immerse yourself into, uh, you know, the 24-hour news cycle. You don't have to dive into the social media feed and be up to date on the, on, the, on the latest tweets by this person and that person. Because it can spin you out and it can start to discourage you and, and, and really uh, get you in a, in a dark place. So take a, take a break from those things and be wise to what is good. Get in God's word. Get into prayer. Spend more time in worship. And see what happens to your quality of life. See how the Lord will start to fill you with peace, with joy once again. You won't be all anxious and, 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 and frustrated and, 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 and have that inner turmoil as a result of everything going on in the world. Be innocent to what is evil, but not ignorant to what is evil. We are to be aware of what's going on. There's no doubt about it. And I'm not saying we can't be engaged in, in, in the, uh, the, the conversation, but the more I got involved in that, the more uh, the kind of that, that outside noise, it started to really spin me. It started to really get me off my center. And the more I get into God's word, the more I stay in, 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 in what the Lord has for me. Um, I just, the, the peace of God continues to fill your life and, and the joy returns and you are, are, are uh, in a place where the Lord can use you and the Lord can minister to you. So Paul is no doubt hearkening back to Genesis 3.15 and verse 20 where he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. For the instigator of all these evil things, the very instigator of evil himself, Satan, seeks to divide the church seeks to deceive the believer, seeks to dilute God's word or maybe even distort it, discourage you in your faith. But our God is a God of peace. So that's why he says, be wise to what is good. Stay in the word of God. Stay close to the Lord. And if we stay on guard against these deceivers and and those who seek to divide, mark those who, who preach a different gospel, proclaim Jesus in a different way, we are wise to do what is good and innocent, not ignorant to what is evil then the God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. He's going to win the battle. Notice, the God of peace will crush Satan, and where is Satan? Under our feet. We get the victory. We get the benefit and the spoils. What a, what a blessing that is. So he moves off of this exhortation, and now he's going to move back to uh, those that are with him, his team, and they are now going to be giving uh, their exhortations to those folks in Rome. Verse 21, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, and so does Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. So Timothy is the Timothy uh, that we read of in the Bible, the two pastoral epistles that Paul writes to Timothy. Um, 
And this is that Timothy. He's a fellow worker. He helped Paul on the mission field uh, in Macedonia and Achaia, and he handled some issues there in Corinth as well. So that is the Timothy that, that uh, we read of later. And then we have those other men, Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater. Sosipater is savior of his father. I thought that was an interesting definition to a name. And then he says, I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. And Tertius is the transcriber. He's the one that's writing this letter for Paul. And by the way, Tertius means third. He's most likely a former slave. Um, they weren't even given names. They were just given first, second, third. And later on, you'll see a man named Cortus. He, he is fourth. And so the slaves weren't even given the dignity of having a name given to them. They were just uh, whatever position or whatever number they were, uh, that's, that was their name. So he says, I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, host to me, and to the whole church greets you. Uh, Gaius was a man that hosted Paul in this time, and he allowed Paul to stay with him in Corinth during the winter time. And so Paul mentions that Gaius was one of the first people that he baptized along with another man in Corinth. And so uh, he was a man of, of, of renown in, in the public arena. So this would have been a, a very prominent conversion for the community. So Paul baptized him personally. So he mentions Gaius, a host to him. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you, and therefore and Cortus, the brother. Erastus was another uh, public figure in that area. He was the public treasurer. And there was a man named Oscar Bruner who did some excavations in Corinth, and he wrote this. A reused paving block uh, preserves an inscription stating that the pavement was laid at the expense of Erastus, who was the commissioner of public works. So an excavation proved the Bible once again that this man Erastus was the commissioner of public works back in those days or the, the, uh, the treasurer, as, as Paul puts him. And so Paul closes this epistle to the Romans now with those greetings from, uh, from those on his team, on his missionary team. And so those, those folks are sending their regards. And now he's going to close in what's called a doxology or just this attribution of praise to God. Verse 25, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past. Verse 26, but now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. So I've, I started to look at this, and this is one long sentence, except for amen at the end, right? If you look at verse 25 all the way through 27, it's one long sentence. And if, if Paul was a man of few words, he could have said the first three words, now to him, and then the last five words, be the glory forever, amen. <laughs> and he could have wrapped it up right there and wiped his hands of it. But there's so much more depth to Paul the Apostle. There's so much more that he wanted to share. And as, you, as we get into it, we see that Paul had so much more to share. He says, we as followers of Christ are established. We're given stability. We're rooted and grounded. Our lives are strengthened by the truth. Notice he says, him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. And so Paul wrote this entire epistle to the Romans, and it is chock full with essential Christian doctrine. He talks about sin in chapters 1 through 3 or so, and then he starts to talk about justification, these key, these key pieces that we need to know as, as Christians. He talks about justification, then he moves on to sanctification and the plan for Israel, and then how we apply this doctrine in our life. He writes this beautiful epistle to the Romans that is essential for us as Christians to not only understand, but 
but to be rooted and grounded, and it establishes us this truth that, that Paul has, has penned to the Romans. And he talks about the mystery which has been kept secret. And we talked about this a little bit last week. This mystery refers to God's plan for redemption that his chosen people Israel and the Gentiles would come together under the banner of Christ and form the church. One people under the banner of Christ. Prior to that, Israel, again, thought that they were the chosen ones, right? They were the chosen people. Therefore, the promises, the covenants, all of those things belonged to them. Yet the Gentiles also... uh, uh, had access now to God through Christ, through faith. And so the, the Jews and the non-Jews together in one body, the body of Christ, that is the mystery of Christ revealed. Paul talks about it more in the book of Ephesians. So therefore, now that our study of Romans has now concluded, at least corporately, not in your personal study, hopefully you continue to stay in the book of Romans regularly, but as it's kind of concluded corporately, we hopefully are more now established in our faith than ever. We hopefully have a stronger zeal to share the gospel, share our faith with others, share the gospel that Paul has, has given to us here, and have an excitement to do so. And if so, like Paul says, to the only wise God through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. He gives complete glory, complete honor to God and, and to Jesus Christ through Jesus Christ. And so our study of Romans has been such a blessing. It's been so rich. And now we're going to move on to 1 Corinthians, hopefully next Wednesday. And so um, as we uh, get into another time of worship, we're going to go ahead and pray. But as the worship team, I'm going to invite the worship team up. Just as we've been doing the last few Wednesdays, we're going to ask you if you need prayer, we're going to bring the, the pastors forward. And we would love to pray for you, minister to you in any way possible. And again, there's no shame in coming up for prayer. Allow the Lord to minister to you during this time. Um, if he's speaking to your heart, uh, let us pray for you. Let us lay hands on you. Let us pray for you. Uh, we'll be kind of in the corners here, and, um, and uh, you know, we'd love to minister to you in that way. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we, again, we're grateful for your word. We, we're grateful that you have given us this wonderful letter that Paul wrote to the Romans, to the believers in Rome. Lord, we could just turn the page back to chapter one and continue the study and continue to draw out the riches of your truth to continue to grow deeper in our understanding of what you have for us as Christians to to further know your good news. So Lord, we thank you for your word. It is the firm foundation from which we are established And Lord, during this time of worship, we pray, Lord, that you would again continue to minister to your people. Lord, that those that need prayer, would would you just prompt them to come forward? Allow your spirit to minister to them now. Lord, there is such power in prayer. And so may the apprehensiveness or the, the insecurity of coming forward for prayer just dissipate and may love win the day. We ask these things in Jesus' name.